Greetings to those who watch below. It's Friday, which means we've arrived at the next destination for our US paranormal tour. Today we're in Massachusetts. But before we start, I'd like to say a huge shout out and thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Jess Black Curtain, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, and Christina Groves for being those who dwell below. An exclusive channel membership that you can join by checking the link in the description box. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Growl by Jesse B. This took place in a small town near Boston, Massachusetts. It takes place in my mother's house, which is about 30 years old. We were the first owners. The land was an apple orchard before it was developed for housing, and before that was just woods. Many bad and stressful things have happened in the house, however. In the winter of 2013, I was at home with my mother. I walked into the bathroom, and as I entered, I heard a low growl behind me. As a note, we do not own a dog. I screamed, and my mother came running. I told her what I'd heard, and we hunted around for an explanation. We found a vacuum extension, and she suggested it might have tipped over, dragging against the wall and creating the growling sound. I had my doubts, but for the sake of my sanity, I agreed and forgot all about it. About six months later, my fiancé and I went hiking. We got lost in the woods, and were picked up by a really nice woman. She was a devout Catholic, and when she brought us back to our car, she handed me a statue of a baby Jesus with a lamb. She said she had picked it up at a yard sale, and felt that I was supposed to have it. I'm not religious, but I was touched by her kindness, so I brought the statue home with me. I set it in the bay window of the kitchen. The next day, around dinner time, my mum and I were in the kitchen talking. We were having a pleasant, normal conversation, just typical how-was-your-day stuff. As we were standing there talking, we both heard a loud, menacing growl, distinctly coming from the air between us. It sounded like an angry dog. We hunted for an explanation, but after much unsuccessful cabinet wiggling and water running, we were both thoroughly spooked. My mum said the statue had been creeping her out, and told me to get rid of it. She was afraid maybe it was responsible for the sound somehow, so I put it outside. I wanted to blame the statue too. My sister, who was a resolute sceptic, was laughing at us the whole time. Later, my sister approached me and said that after her trip to Ireland, she had brought home a small stained-glass window image of the Virgin Mary and hung it up in her room. She confessed she'd started having bad nightmares, and the sight of it creeped her out, so she put it away, and the nightmares stopped. My sister suggested that maybe instead of some growling spirit being attached to the statue, maybe the statue had pissed off something that was already in my house. That made me think of the growl I'd heard that winter. I promise this is all true. My mother and I are both mentally stable. We don't drink or do drugs, and we are not religious or particularly interested in the paranormal. Nor do we jump to paranormal explanations for things. But creepy stuff happens in the house that has driven me to be open to the paranormal. The Hoosack Tunnel The Hoosack Tunnel is so named because it's a passage carved through the Hoosack Range in the Berkshire Mountains of Western Massachusetts. In Algonquin, the word can be loosely translated to Place of Rocks. 
the European-descended folk who settled in the area kept the Algonquin name for the mountain range, but they had some other changes in mind. Mostly, they wanted to blow a big hole in it, so they could run a train through it. Digging big tunnels underground has always been extremely dangerous, but was probably pretty terrible in the mid-19th century, because it was deadly, and the work was slow. Construction began in 1851, and the tunnel wasn't completed until 1875. Low-tech, unsafe conditions, noxious, volatile, flammable gases, and highly unstable explosives claimed the lives of over 190 men before the tunnel was completed. The Hoosac Tunnel thus earned its nickname, the Bloody Pit. Labourers were dropping like flies throughout the excavation project, and maybe that would have been enough to win the Hoosac Tunnel its own ghost army, or at least a few ghost soccer teams. But the best ghosts don't come from workplace accidents, they come from murder. Nitroglycerin was the shiny new volatile chemical compound on the block in 1865. Well before it was ever used to treat angina, nitroglycerin was used to blow the righteous hell out of God's own mountains. In March that year, three explosive experts gave the combustive agent a shot. Ned Brinkman, Billy Nash and Ringo Kelly primed a charge then sped off to a safety bunker for the detonation. Unfortunately, Ringo messed up. He blew the nitro before his partners got to safety. According to the stories, Ned Brinkman and Billy Nash were buried alive under tons of rocks in the explosion. I'd wager that it's more likely they were buried dead. Either way, it roused suspicion. Was this simply an accident, like all the other deaths in the tunnel? Or was it murder? Ringo Kelly disappeared soon after. Workers found him ten days after the nitroglycerin incident, two miles deep into the tunnel, near where his partners had died. Ringo was dead, apparently strangled to death. Without any suspects, the case went cold, but the tunnel workers were convinced that Ringo had been revenged by the ghosts of his dead partners. A high mortality rate was one thing, but ghosts were another. The workmen reported hearing cries of agony coming from a man's voice inside the tunnel, and refused to enter after dark. This was a problem. In September of 1868, a former cavalry officer and mechanical engineer named Paul Travers was asked by a Mr Dunn to investigate. They entered, expecting to find nothing but the sounds of wind howling through the rock. Instead, the two of them heard the voice of a groaning man, just as reported by the more superstitious workers. Travers wrote of the experience, I'll admit, I haven't been this frightened since Shiloh. Just a month later, the tunnel claimed 13 more souls in the worst disaster of the entire project. A gas explosion destroyed a surface pumping station, filling the central shaft with debris. With the pumping station down, the 538-foot shaft filled with water, bringing some dead bodies with it. It would be over a year, before all of the victims' bodies were discovered, some of them on a makeshift raft, built to keep the men from drowning in the rising water. In the meantime, before all of the bodies were accounted for, workmen told stories about seeing the dead men's ghosts, on the mountaintop, in the tunnels, carrying their tools. They reported hearing muffled wails near the flooded shaft. It's hard to say if they simply imagine these sounds, or if they are actually hearing cries for help from the survivors who had built the raft. 
the voices of ghosts who had not yet died. The sightings seemed to have stopped after all the bodies had been recovered and buried, but the moans and groans of the dark tunnel kept up, and workers remained fearful. Four years after the explosion, the powers that be finally got a guy with a PhD to take a look. Dr Clifford Owens and a man named James McKinstry entered the tunnel at 11.30pm, apparently hoping to see something. Dr Owens wrote, We had travelled about two full miles into the shaft when we finally halted to rest. Except for the dim smoky light cast by our lamps, the place was as cold and dark as a tomb. James and I stood there talking for a minute or two, and were just about to turn back, when suddenly I heard a strange, mournful sound. It was just as if someone or something was suffering great pain. The next thing, I saw a dim light coming from along the tunnel from a westerly direction. At first I believed it was probably a workman with a lantern, yet as the light grew closer, it took on a strange blue colour, and appeared to change shape into the form of a human being without a head. The light seemed to be floating along about a foot or two above the tunnel floor. In the next instant, it felt as if the temperature had suddenly dropped, and a cold, icy chill ran up and down my spine. The headless form came so close that I could have reached out and touched it, but I was too terrified to move. For what seemed like an eternity, McKinstry and I stood there gaping at the headless thing like two wooden Indians. The blue light remained motionless for a few seconds, as if it were actually looking us over, then floated off toward the east end of the shaft, and vanished into thin air. Just in case we thought that Dr Owens was as superstitious as any of the tunnel workers, he included the following. I am above all a realist, nor am I prone to repeating gossip and wild tales that defy a reasonable explanation. However, in all truth, I cannot deny what James McKinstry and I witnessed with our own eyes. In February of 1875, the first train passed through the completed Hoosac Tunnel. 125 passengers made it through with no issue, which isn't too surprising. Unlike human men, trains fear nothing. The Hoosac Tunnel put North Adams on the map as a New England transportation gateway. As you might expect, once the project was completed, most of the tales stopped. But the tunnel hasn't been empty by any means. Aside from being an active freight railway, explorers, maintenance workers, and passers-through have continued to tell stories of a presence in the dark, sometimes helpful, other times threatening, heralded by muffled voices. My Closet Door by Any Guy In the summer of 2002, I moved into a little apartment in a small town in Massachusetts, with the exception of the previous few months, I had been out of my parents' house for years, but I'd always had roommates. This was my first apartment by myself, and I was really looking forward to being alone. It was a cosy first-floor apartment, with a private garden entrance at the rear of an old house that had been converted into four apartments, and I loved it. The first night I moved in was wonderful. My friends had all gone home after beer and pizza, and I was left alone. I had electricity and hot water, but no cable TV or phone for dial-up internet. I took a long hot shower and read a book until I felt sleepy, and then proceeded to enjoy one of the best night's sleep I've ever had. Independence and quiet 
are wonderful things. The next night, things started to change. As I said, this was an old house, and as such, the closet door in my bedroom didn't close properly unless I lifted the doorknob and hip-checked it closed. Opening it was no picnic either. That night, I again fell asleep with a sense of peace and tranquility. It didn't last. Sometime in the middle of the night, the closet door slammed open, as if somebody had kicked it open from the inside, smacked into the wall, and slammed it shut again. As you can imagine, I was catapulted out of sleep in a panic. I sat upright, staring at the closed closet door, terrified and too petrified to reach for the light in the dark. I probably sat like that for a good 15 minutes before I could move. Once I got the light turned on, I left it on for the remainder of the night. The closet door continued to do its own thing as the weeks went on, accompanied by lights turning on in the middle of the night, doors locking on their own, the stereo doing whatever the hell it wanted, cabinet doors all being opened when I got home from work, and various other things. I wasn't too happy, and didn't know what to do. One Friday night, a friend came over for dinner, and I told him all about my situation, admitting that I was scared, and might need to move out already. He told me not to worry about it, and that he would have a little chat with my ghost. I was a little uncomfortable with it, but he insisted. I poured myself a glass of wine, and went outside to peer in through my bedroom window, while my friend sat on the floor in front of my open closet, and had what appeared to be a one-sided conversation. After about 15 minutes or so, he closed the closet door, and signalled to me that he was finished. He wouldn't tell me what he said, but he assured me that my troubles would be over. And they were, for five wonderfully peaceful years. In the summer of 2007, I was working on my computer in my bedroom, listening to music and enjoying the warm breeze through the window, when I heard a loud crash from the other side of the apartment. I ran into the kitchen to find a beautiful old ceramic serving platter that I had left on the counter, smashed in the middle of the kitchen floor, about five feet from the counter. That was the end of the peace and quiet. For the next ten months I endured an ever-increasing amount of activity, which even my friend couldn't do anything about. My boyfriend would no longer stay in my apartment alone for more than five minutes, and other friends often said they felt uncomfortable there, even with others around. In the spring of 2008, I moved to another small town in Massachusetts, and haven't experienced anything at all to indicate that my current home is haunted. The Landlord by BSK36 My name is Jean. I have three children, ten grandchildren, four great-grandchildren, and a husband of 33 years. I also take care of a mentally challenged man seven days a week. This is my true ghost story. At the time when this story took place, I was 28 years old, and had just had my third child. I never really believed in spirits or ghosts before this, but after what happened to me and my family, you bet I believe. It was 1975 in Dorchester, Massachusetts, and we had just moved into the top floor of a three-decker apartment. And for the first two months, everything seemed normal. My husband would get up and go to work, the two older kids would be off to school, and the baby and I would stay home. That was the normal routine. I remember the first time that it all started. 
It was after midnight and I was laying in bed. My husband was asleep next to me and I was wide awake. As I lay there trying to get back to sleep, I heard something that caught my attention. It sounded like people talking. It was very faint, but clear. The voice sounded like a landlord describing an apartment. I didn't think too much of it. I thought that maybe it was the people down below us. As I turned over to switch positions, I looked up, and there he was, standing in my bedroom doorway, staring right at me. He was as clear as day. Holding the doorknob, he appeared to be peeking in, as if he was checking in on a child. He looked like an older gentleman, heavy set with grey hair and rosy cheeks. He looked to be a jolly man. I wiped my eyes and blinked a few times, making sure I was awake and seeing what I thought I was seeing. We didn't say anything to each other. He just stared at me for a moment before I turned over and closed my eyes. When I turned back to look, he was gone. I don't know why, but I wasn't scared at all. I looked over at my husband, and he was sound asleep. I closed my eyes and drifted back to sleep. The next morning, I asked my husband if he had seen or heard anything unusual, and I told him what I had seen that night before. He said no and shrugged it off, as if I must have been dreaming, and then headed off to work. That afternoon I went over to my mother-in-law's house for a visit. As we were talking, I brought up what had happened the night before. I described the man that I had seen, and told her he was standing in my bedroom doorway. My mother-in-law was in shock. The look on her face was like she had just seen a ghost herself. She went on to explain that she knew the landlord of the apartment we lived in. His name is Mr. Tate, and he just passed away a few months ago. What I had described sounded just like him. Older, heavy set with grey hair and rosy cheeks. She said, Jean, I think you saw Mr. Tate. Chills ran up and down my body, but I still wasn't afraid. Later that night, I was talking to my husband about what his mother had said to me. He couldn't believe it. Jean, you're nuts, he said. I said, well, that would explain the voices I heard, sounding like someone describing an apartment. A few days have gone by, and I haven't heard or seen anything. Maybe I was seeing things. It was a little after two in the morning, when I woke up to the baby crying. I got up to get the baby and make him a bottle, and then went back to my bedroom to feed him. I sat down on the edge of my bed facing away from the door, my husband sound asleep next to me. I started feeding the baby and reached for a cigarette. I know, holding a baby and smoking, real nice right? But it was 1975, who knew? A few minutes had gone by and I heard a voice say, Jean, don't smoke between the hours of 2 and 4am. This time I was a little scared. I didn't look back to see if there was something behind me or not. I just reached over and put the cigarette out and continued feeding the baby. The rest of the night was quiet. That morning, I told my husband what I had heard. This time I think he believed me. He asked me if I was pulling at his hair or tapping him in bed last night. I said no, and he went on to tell me that he felt something tugging at his hair and it woke him up. He also thought he heard someone talking about numbers. He said he looked over at me, and I was turned the other way sound asleep. Do you believe now, I said. Later that day, it was just me and the baby. I was in the kitchen and I could see the baby in the living room. 
Something caught my attention in the living room, so I went to investigate. I noticed that the lamp on the end table was off. I thought that maybe a bulb had blown, so I went over to check it, and turned the switch just to see if it was off, or if the bulb really did blow out. I turned the switch, and to my surprise, the light turned on. I didn't make a big deal over it. Maybe it was already off and I thought it was on. But what was it that made me go in there in the first place? Oh well. I went back into the kitchen to finish what I was doing. A minute or two went by before I looked up to check the baby, and when I did, I noticed that the light was off again. I went back out to the lamp and checked it again. I turned the switch and the light turned on again. Okay, now I know something is not right here. You have to physically turn that switch with your fingers to turn it on and off. That's when I started talking to whomever or whatever was in my house. The rest of the day seemed to be okay, until that night, at dinner. We were sitting at the kitchen table having dinner, talking about the day we had all had. In the kitchen were the washer and dryer. Some time had passed, when all of a sudden, bang! We all jumped out of our seats. The noise we heard came from the dryer. It sounded like someone had walked by the dryer and hit it really hard. I looked at my husband, and he looked at me with wide open eyes. Okay, we know you're here. You don't have to bang on things, I said. You're scaring the kids. Can you please stop? We didn't hear or see anything the rest of the night. As a matter of fact, two weeks had gone by before it started back up again. It was around four o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. My husband was due home any time, and the two older kids were across the street at the park. The baby was taking a nap in the living room, and I was in the bathroom blow-drying my hair when all of a sudden, the blow dryer stopped and the light went off. Great, the power went out. I didn't think much of it, until I heard the TV that we kept in the kitchen. I looked around to make sure the power was really out. The TV in the living room was off, and all the lights were off. I tried turning on the lamp, and it wouldn't turn on. Even the refrigerator was out. The only thing that was on was the TV in the kitchen. I walked over to the TV that was on, and checked it out. It was plugged in, and the switch was on. I walked back into the living room and picked up the baby. Then I called my husband. He was still at work. Great. This time, I was really frightened. I mean, no power in the whole apartment, except the one TV in the kitchen. My husband told me I should go downstairs and check the circuit breakers. I said, what? Are you kidding me? I'm not going down there. He said I needed to go check it out, or I'd have to wait until he got home. I didn't want to, but I did. I got the baby in a flashlight, then proceeded down the stairs to the circuit breakers. When I got there, I opened the lid and shined the light on the breakers. One by one I checked, and not one breaker was tripped. I slammed the lid shut, and then took the baby and headed outside. We sat outside until my husband got home. About 20 minutes had passed by the time I called the kids home, and just then, my husband was pulling up. We walked into the apartment, and noticed right away that the power was all back on. We wanted to check all the possibilities of what might have happened to the power, so we turned on everything in the apartment that could be turned on. Every appliance, light, lamp, TV, and radio. Even the blow dryer was running, and the power stayed on. The breakers took the load of everything being on, we couldn't find an explanation of why the TV stayed on, 
and the rest of the apartment had no power. Most people would have probably moved out by now, but it didn't frighten us so bad to be there. We kind of had fun with it. Plus, it didn't happen every day. Days or weeks would go by before something else would happen. Time did pass before the next encounter. I remember my daughter calling me into the next room. She was trying to open the closet door, but it was stuck and wouldn't budge. It was weird because we never had a problem with that door. The door was an older one that needed a skeleton key to open it. I took the key from my daughter and tried to open it myself, but it still wouldn't budge. I turned the knob back and forth and pulled on the door. Nothing. When I pulled on the door, it felt like someone was on the other side holding it shut. My daughter and I could not figure it out. We stood there, puzzled, staring at the door, when all of a sudden, it popped open. I looked down at my daughter, and she was gone. She took off like a bat out of hell. The door didn't open hard or fast, it just kind of slowly creaked open. I still have no explanation as to how that happened. It's just one more thing added to the activities of that apartment. Just like our back door, there would sometimes be wide open when it had a chain lock on it, and nobody claimed to open it. All like the plates my aunt had given me. Before we moved in, my aunt had given me two decorative plastic plates. They each had a picture of a man and woman on them, and they both had mine and my husband's name on them. I had them hanging next to each other on the wall next to the pantry. One night, we heard a crash in the other room. We got up to see what it was. When we walked in the room, I noticed one of the plates my aunt had given me was on the floor. It didn't shatter, but it had a crack right through the neck of the picture. The strange thing is, the plate was about five feet from the wall. I thought that if something fell off the wall, wouldn't it just fall straight down? We went back into the living room, saying, Great, here we go again. About five minutes passed, before we heard another crash. We went back into the other room to find that the other plate had fallen too. Again, the plate was about five feet from the wall, but this time the plate was cracked in a V-shape on the forehead of the picture. I don't believe the cracks on the plates meant anything, it's just where they happened to crack. But the distance of the plates from the wall was very strange. I guess Mr. Tate didn't like my plates. When we moved into the apartment, it looked like someone was in the middle of fixing it up. For instance, the wallpaper in the kitchen and hallway looked new, but unfinished. So, my husband and I decided we were going to change some of it, because I didn't like the way it looked. I've always heard that when some people have remodeled or started moving things around in their home, it would awaken any spirits that might be there. Don't ask me why, it's just what I've heard. I can tell you this though, after we changed the wallpaper, something very strange occurred. We woke up one morning a couple of days after doing the wallpaper, and what we saw, I still have no explanation for. The wall behind our couch had deep scratches, about a foot higher than the couch, and all the way down to the baseboard. The wallpaper we just put up a couple of days before was ruined. The scratches went from behind the couch all the way down the hallway. I'm going to kill that cat, shouted my husband. I don't think it was the cat, I said. Maybe we should get the cat and see if he is even capable of doing that. My husband found the cat, and we brought him into the hallway. I held my cat's back paws, and my husband took hold of the front legs. We then stretched the cat up the wall next to the scratches. We stretched that cat as far as he would let us, 
and still the scratches were at least six inches higher than what the cat could stretch. I guess Mr. Tate didn't like our choice of wallpaper. We came to find out later, Mr. Tate was in the middle of doing our wallpaper when he passed away from a heart attack. I remember we had an old-fashioned pencil sharpener. It was one of those that looked like an old telephone. We had it screwed to the wall in the kitchen, across from the washer and dryer. It was the following Sunday night, when my brother and sister-in-law stopped by for a visit. During their stay, we had a discussion about all the activity that was going on in our apartment. Of course, my brother-in-law, just like my husband, was being sceptical. I told him about all the stuff that had been going on, and he just shook his head in disbelief. He said, I don't believe it. I was in the middle of telling him about the scratches on the wall, when all of a sudden, the pencil sharpener flew off the wall and slammed into the washing machine. Nobody could believe it. My brother-in-law looked at his wife and said, let's go. My husband picked up the sharpener and walked back over to look at the wall. The screws were still in the wall, and the washing machine was at least six feet away. It was like someone ripped the sharpener right off the wall and threw it against the washing machine. There was absolutely no explanation for what just happened. We lived in that apartment for two years before we moved, even though we encountered more activity in that two-year span. We moved because we had to, not because of the spirit that lived with us. I never did see a picture of Mr. Tate, but I do believe that it was him in our apartment. I never asked the landlady about her husband. I guess I didn't want to frighten her. Freaky Fishing Trip by Andy83991 A couple of weeks ago, me, my cousin, and his friend went out in our kayaks for a day of fishing and relaxing. It's early spring, so it was our first time out this year, being something we did almost weekly the last couple of years when the weather was nice. The pond we went out in is called Great Island Pond, aptly named for the two-acre or so island that is located directly in the middle. On this island is an abandoned hunting lodge. From what locals have told me, it was being used up until sometime in the 1970s. There were all new housing developments and neighbourhoods in the area, but at the time, this was a really remote place. My cousin and I often stopped in our kayaks and walked through the house at some point during each trip we would make. It's a pretty large house, three floors with a wraparound deck on the second floor, which has a beautiful view of the pond and woods. Having been in there many times, we knew how everything inside the house was set up. We got out of our kayaks and we explained the house and its layout and where to step and not to step to our guest and first-time kayaker. After we were through, we made our way up the stairs and into the kitchen, checking out the old well pumps and retro refrigerator. Not ten seconds into entering the house, we hear a loud walking or running sound upstairs, and we all stopped and listened. To me, it sounded like a person walking, or a large animal, because it was fairly loud, and there is no way a squirrel or raccoon weighed enough to make those loud steps. We were a little freaked out, but being three-twenty-somethings, we shrugged it off and acted like we were not worried. The next thing we did was cut through the parlour to get out to the front deck and show our buddy the great outside view. While walking through the room, my cousin and I stopped and looked at each other. He asked me exactly what I was just about to ask him, 
which was, why is the door to upstairs closed? The door had never been closed during any previous visits to the house, and it is something that we both noticed immediately. There is no wind in the house, because all the entry doors are always closed. Anyway, we continue onto the porch and hang out there for a few minutes, taking some pictures and enjoying the view. We walk back inside to check out the rest of the house, and as we're walking back across the parlour, the door that was closed that leads to upstairs flings open hard enough to leave a dent in the wall. Needless to say, the three of us ran out of that house back to the front yard. We were all visibly shaken up, and were trying to figure out how that could have possibly happened. There was no wind that day, all doors were closed, and the door that opened was clicked shut all the way when we first saw it. After five minutes of deciding if we should go back in, we did exactly that. We went upstairs and could not find a thing, not even a scared animal. We were totally dumbfounded. Needless to say, it was a very interesting and confusing pit stop during our mostly relaxing day. Hi there guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. Where do you think we should head to next on our paranormal trip? Make sure you let me know in the comment section below. I'll be picking one for next week's video. If you like the video, make sure to also leave it a like. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel, making sure you hit the notification bell so you know when the next video goes live. So, until next time, sleep tight.